dismissing our children as well downstairs. You know, what a simple saying that is. If I could just take 30 seconds, I'll never forget sitting across a table from uh, a relative who is just, you know, one of those weightlifter dudes, like bald head, tough guy dudes. I looked at him in the eyes and just said three simple words. Uh, I said, God loves you. And it was like foreign to him, mind-boggling that God loved him. And we say that often in church, and sometimes that can become familiar and old. But man, what a sweet thing to know that God does really love us. Amen? Don't let that simple phrase become familiar and boring to you. Amen? It would be a mistake to underemphasize the reality of Jesus' death. It's just one verse in Matthew that we read and heard preached last week. Verse 50 of chapter 27. Matthew tells us, And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice, and yielded up his spirit. Mark and Luke say, he breathed his last. John, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Friends, make no mistake about it. Don't miss this reality. Let it set in. Jesus died. That's where we are in this account of Matthew's Gospel. Jesus died. And so now we ask the question, now what? Where do we go from here? Jesus is dead. What happens now as a result of Jesus' death? That's today what we're going to see. Matthew is going to give us Uh, immediate results. What happens immediately at the death of Jesus? And we're going to consider today why these results are of utmost significance as we consider who Jesus is and what his death truly accomplishes for us. Right? I want to invite Ron Rabideau, to come forward. He's going to read our scripture passage this morning. Let's hear from Ron. The scripture reading this morning comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 27, verses 51 through 56. This is the word of the Lord. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two, from top to bottom. And the earth shook, and the rocks were split. The tombs also were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. When the centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake, And what took place? They were filled with awe and said, 
Truly, this was the Son of God. There were also many women there, looking on from a distance, who had followed Jesus from Galilee, ministering to him, among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of the sons of Zebedee. Thank you, brother. Friends, let's pray together. Father God, we pray that you would apply the reading of your word to our hearts. We pray that you would fill us with the spirit, that we would be attentive, that you would nourish us and feed us, and that we would all the more be conformed to Christ's image. Uh, Direct us to Jesus, uh, deepen our faith, and enable us to serve him more joyfully and obediently. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew gives us three extraordinary results that occur immediately at Jesus' death. Three extraordinary results that happen immediately at Jesus' death. These results are not random. They are not coincidental. Each of these are... uh, important to understand and see because Matthew, as he's telling us, to truths about Jesus and his death. Okay? So Matthew does not want you to miss this. And so we're going to take a look at these three extraordinary results that happen immediately at Jesus' death. Let's take a look at the first sign together. The tearing of the temple curtain. That's the first sign. Verse 51, behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The curtain of the temple is torn in two. What is going on here? Well, we understand the existence of a curtain in the temple that functioned in a particular way. Exodus 26, you go all the way back, old school, Old Testament, and we read that the Lord commanded the crafting of a curtain, a veil, that would do this in Exodus chapter 26. It was to separate for you the holy place from the holy of holies. There was an act of separation that took place. The holy place and the holy of holies. This veil simply functioned to do this, and I'm summarizing, to keep people out of the Holy of Holies, to keep sinners away from God's holy presence. That's what the curtain in the temple functioned to do. It would separate that which is holy from that which is profane. Do you hear that? It's keeping people out. It's separating holy from profane. It is also guarding the holy of holies from sinful people entering. It was understood that if they entered, they would die. Because that which is profane cannot stand in the presence of a holy God. It guarded the Holy of Holies, kind of like as we understood at the fall, the, the, the Adam and Eve were, were expelled from the garden, and what did the cherubim do at the entrance to Eden? Guard it, 
No, you cannot go in there. You cannot have access to paradise, God's presence. You're out. So, bottom line, this veil, this curtain functioned to do this. It would send a message. It would protect people. It said this, that for sinners, access to God's presence was denied. Access to God's presence was denied. And so that's what this curtain did. But if now we see that at the death of Jesus, this immediate result occurs, that from top to bottom, the curtain is torn in two. When Jesus dies, this curtain tears, we're told. One could even say that as Jesus dies, God tears the curtain from top to bottom. So what does that mean? Don't miss this. The tearing of the curtain is signifying something wonderful, something beautiful. It means that when Jesus dies, that for the people of God, the Holy of Holies has been opened. It means that separation between us and a holy God is gone. It means that the joy and the blessing of Eden is now being restored. That's what it means. The tearing of the temple curtain is a sign that because of Jesus' death, access to God has been opened. Do you hear that, friend? That at the death of Jesus, access to God has been opened. That's why the writer of Hebrews says this, again, after hearing an exposition, reading an exposition on what Jesus' sacrifice, his death did in accomplishing atonement for sinners, he tells the worshiper this. He says in verse 19 of chapter 10, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way, that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. Don't miss that. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, here's what we're to do. Verse 22, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Is this not wonderful news for the sinner who knows that he cannot stand in the presence of a holy God. This is what the death of Jesus means. This is what it signifies. This is what it has accomplished. And this tearing of the curtain is a sign for us of who Jesus is and what his death is accomplishing. Don't miss the signs this morning. Let's take a look at the second sign. Verse 51 tells us another thing occurred. The earth shook and the rocks were split. Immediately after the death of Jesus, there was an earthquake. What's going on here? Well, it's not normal. They don't happen all the time. Just Friday, earthquake. Somebody dies, earthquake. Not normal. Extraordinary. What's going on here? Well, 
throughout the scriptures, and actually there's a lot of examples, when an earthquake occurs, it would signify that God was present and active in judgment. You go through the historical books, you go through the prophets, you see time and time again, wherever a prophet speaks about the earth shaking, close by is some understanding that God was present and active to judge. Here's an example, Isaiah 13, verse 13, says this, Therefore I will make the heavens tremble, and the earth will be shaken out of its place at the wrath of the Lord of hosts in the day of his fierce anger. Do you see that? The shaking and trembling of the earth, the wrath and anger of the Lord. Whenever there is an earthquake, that means God is present and active to judge. But let's hold that thought for a minute. Not only that, let's not forget what Jesus just said in Matthew chapter 24. What did he teach the disciples about what would happen? Remember what the disciples' question was in Matthew 24? They said, hey, tell us, Jesus, when will these things be? And what will the sign of your coming and the end of the age be? And what did he say? He said, you'll hear of famines and earthquakes in various places. So we see two things at least happening when there is this earthquake that immediately occurs at the death of Jesus. One, God is present and active to judge, and he is signifying that there is a new age that is dawning for the people of God. Let me summarize it this way, that in this moment, at the death of Jesus, God was present and active to judge sin in the death of Jesus. He poured out his wrath and his righteous indignation on sin. And he did so through the sacrifice of his son, Jesus Christ. And not only that, because of that atoning work, this sparks for the people of God a whole new age. Amen? A whole new age has dawned for God's people. So what does this mean? Don't miss the signs, friend. Don't miss the signs at the death of Jesus. They're telling us a story about who Jesus is, and they're also telling us a story about the effectiveness of his death, the unique effectiveness of his death. Yes, at his death, access to God has been opened, and yes, in his death, God's wrath is fully poured out on sin, and a new age is dawned for the people of God. Isn't that wonderful news? Don't miss the signs. May the Spirit of God open your eyes to see the signs. He's telling you, Matthew is telling you who Jesus is. Matthew is telling you what his death uniquely is accomplishing. Let's take a look at the third sign. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. It's the opening of the tombs. We're told this, the tombs were also opened. And many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. Imagine this. Many of my family members are uh, at Woodlawn Cemetery, both this Maisie side and even Big Walt and Carolyn, the Uligs, are at Woodlawn Cemetery off Grant Boulevard. It's not too far from Ethan Fordham's, Bishop Ethan Fordham's house uh, and Gabby, okay? 
And so what happens is every time I go over there, I can't help but kind of glance over there. Every once in a while, especially if it's during the day, I'll actually drive through the cemetery and, and, and go there and just, even if it's for two minutes, just reflect on their life and how much they meant to me, my grandparents, and you know, see, see what flowers my aunts put there, whatever. Um, it's, 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 an, it's a meaningful time. But imagine if I showed up to Woodlawn Cemetery and all the mausoleums were open. Imagine if I showed up and all the caskets had popped open. That would be an extraordinary experience, don't you think? I mean, Scream 6 just came out. I feel like Scream 7 would be filmed at that moment. Like my face, right, would just be like Scream 7, okay? Imagine what took place. We could miss it. At the death of Jesus, we're told the tombs also were opened. The tombs were opened. What is happening? That is such an unexpected thing to take place. That doesn't happen in ordinary human uh, experience, does it? That's extraordinary. That's odd. That's atypical. That's a sign that something un, uh, extraordinary has occurred in the death of Jesus. We would never expect this. But actually, if you know your Old Testament, you know the prophets, the people of God did expect this. This was an expected thing. It was promised, actually, in Ezekiel chapter 37. 600 years prior, there was a prophecy through Ezekiel uh, that, uh, that happened over a valley of dry bones. Raise your hand if you know what I'm talking about, the valley of dry bones. Ezekiel chapter 37. This is what the Lord said through Ezekiel. He said this, Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will open your graves. And raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel, and you shall know that I am the Lord. When I open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people, and I'll put my spirit within you, and you shall live. Don't miss that. I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I am the Lord, I have spoken, and I will do it, declares the Lord. He is revealing himself in this moment. He is fulfilling his promises to his people. The opening of the graves is the opening of the graves that was promised 600 years prior. Is this not an amazing thing to think about? Jesus' death signifies the fulfillment of this prophecy, and ultimately it signifies the defeat of death. Death has been defeated in the death of Jesus Christ. Don't miss the sign. Death has been defeated in the death of Jesus Christ. And then you see these, uh, this comment from Matthew, like after the resurrection, which by the way, if that doesn't just drop some hope in the midst of the passage, nothing else does. After his resurrection, these uh, people, the saints, appeared to many in the holy city in Jerusalem. So what is happening there? Well, again, it's showing us not only has death been defeated, but guess what? Resurrection life is secured, and it is coming for the people of God. But that resurrection is always inextricably linked to the resurrection of Jesus. When Jesus is raised, these saints are raised. When Jesus is raised, they are raised. 
right? When we place our faith in Jesus, we're united to him in his death and what? His resurrection. Without Jesus' resurrection, there is no resurrection. Without Jesus', there's no end of an old life. You see the point that it's by faith we have union with Jesus. It is by faith we come to know that his death defeated death, that his death means that resurrection life is coming for the people of God. Don't miss the signs. Don't miss them. Matthew is showing us loud and clear all the signs. He's saying that in the death of Jesus, death has been defeated and that resurrection life is coming. Those three signs, don't miss them. Open your eyes. May the Spirit of God open your eyes to see who Jesus is and what his death accomplishes. Don't miss it. These three signs are evidence They're evidence. Exhibit A, B, and C. We see what happens when the Spirit of God opens our eyes. Right? Look at verse 54. The centurion sees. The centurion. The Gentile Roman soldier sees. His eyes are opened. When the centurion and those who were with him keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place. They were filled with awe. And they said, truly, this was the Son of God. What an amazing profession. He saw the signs. Do you see the signs? The Roman centurion, this was evidence All that took place. You know what this means? This means that Jesus truly is who he claimed to be. That's what this means. This means that he is the son of God. The death of Jesus, the way he died, the immediate effects of his death were compelling evidence to prompt this profession of faith. That's ironic, right? If I were to ask you, Maybe you're skeptical. I don't know. Maybe you deny this. What would it take to convince you that Jesus was truly God? What would be the evidence? What would be compelling enough to convince you that Jesus was truly the Son of God? Would it be his death? Would it be his suffering and his death? and the way he died and what immediately occurs at his death, would that convince you? There's something unique about the death of Jesus that shines bright in comparison to any other world religion, any other God that is worshipped. There's something unique. There's something about when Jesus dies on the cross and all that takes place. There's something about the death of Jesus that highlights his majesty and his glory and his beauty and his person more than anything else. Would it be his death? It was for the centurion. It was his death. And all that took place, as he saw it, he said, wow, this man truly was the Son of God. Don't miss out on that. Right? D.A. Carson says, Jesus 
as the promised Messiah and unique Son of God is seen most clearly in his passion and death. Do you see it? Do you see him? Do you see the signs? That's the irony of all this. His identity is most clearly seen in his death and his suffering. That's what Matthew wants us to see. That's what he's trying to get across, that you see it in his death. You see the effects. It means he truly is the Son of God. He is who he claimed to be. If you just take all of what Matthew's saying in this passage and you roll it up into one sentence, it's this. The signs at Jesus' death identify him as God's son. So that's what signs do. right? We interact with signs all the time. Signs inform us of something. And signs direct us, tell us where to go. But signs also identify something for us. Right? Renovation sign out front. This is Renovation Church. It identifies these people in this place as renovation. The signs at his death, the tearing of the curtain, the opening of the tombs, and the, uh, what was the other one? The earthquake. Those signs, they identify Jesus. The signs at Jesus' death identify him as God's son. And the centurion sees it. Do you see it? But not only does it uh, is it evidence for him? Let's not miss out on the fact that this is a remarkable change in his posture toward Jesus. Who is this? The centurion and those who were with him keeping watch over Jesus. You roll back the narrative, these are the same people that dragged Jesus all the way to Golgotha. These are the same people that spat, spit in his face, that beat him, that tore out his beard, that shoved a crown of thorns in his head. These are the people that mocked him, that put this quote-unquote charge over his, uh, over his cross. These are the people that rejected him, that now say, truly, this man was the Son of God. A remarkable change had occurred. His eyes were opened by the power of the Spirit. And is this not what God does? And does he not do it most beautifully, wonderfully, personally at the foot of the cross? Does he not open our eyes to see the signs of who Jesus is? And does our heart not melt like wax at the love that is displayed at the cross? It's a remarkable change. That's what God does. He takes people that have rejected him, who've rebelled against him, those that have spit in his face and mocked him and disobeyed him and disregarded him, and he causes by the power of the Spirit a remarkable change in their heart which changes their posture and ultimately their profession. Is this not your story, friend? You're here because Jesus grabbed a hold of you. He opened your eyes by the power of the Spirit and he drew you to himself in grace, in love. And that grace and love is intersects most beautifully, powerfully at the cross. Amen? Signs at his death identify him as the son. We see it. And it causes a remarkable change. It brings about regeneration. 
it brings about that life that is illustrated here in the opening of the tombs. Brings about life. Do you see the signs? When our eyes are open to see them, we respond to them. And we profess that Jesus is truly the Son of God. Do you see the signs this morning? Are you responding to the signs? I've lived basically in the Liverpool area my whole life. Minus three years, we lived in the posh area of the North Shore of Boston. Now we're, you know, back to the rough parts of the town of Clay. Liverpool, you know. My whole life, I've checked the paper, Syracuse.com, and about 10 times a year, according to the New York State Department of Transportation, there is a newsreel that somebody hit a bridge. Some of you in the room have hit this bridge. I'm just saying. You go down the parkway, and there are 10 signs that say, 10 feet, 9 inches, blinking lights, no commercial traffic. Supposedly, they've installed a laser system. And for whatever reason, 10 people a year hammer the immovable, iron, undefeated champion of the world, <laughs> the Onondaga Lake Bridge. When we ignore the signs, no matter how, it just brings about devastating consequences. Don't ignore the signs. That may be an active turning for you, right? Turning around. Don't ignore the signs that Matthew gives us. If you're here today and you've never placed your faith, hope, and trust in Jesus because you're just not sure, there's nothing going to be more beautiful and clear than his death and the effects that it brings about for people like you and you and me. Don't miss it today. Turn to Jesus. Place your faith, hope, and trust in him. See who he is. See what his death accomplishes. Don't resist that work of the Spirit. That's open. Don't do that. Receive it. Submit yourself to the Spirit of God. Trust in him. Trust in Jesus. And begin to draw near in full assurance of faith with a heart that is sprinkled clean, with a clear conscience, right? In restored relationship with Almighty God, the God that made you and has saved you through His Son, Jesus Christ. Place your faith in Christ. Surrender to Him. Don't ignore the signs. They will have, that will have devastating consequences on your present and your future. If you're here today and you have believed that Jesus is the Son of God your whole life, that has been your profession, may this word be a word of reassurance for you. May it strengthen you. 
There's a lot of noise and competing truths in our day. There's a lot of confusion. And we, even as the people of God, can fall prey to doubts and fears and worries and also error about Jesus, who he is, and what he's accomplished for us. Let this be a reminder to you. Let this be a reassurance for you. May it bolster your confidence that Jesus is who he said he is. Jesus is the Son of God. His death did pay the penalty for your sin. And it brought about such blessing for you. Let this bolster, strengthen, fortify your faith. May you continue to draw near to Christ privately and publicly Sundays. Draw near together as the people of God with full assurance, with our hearts sprinkled clean. Continue to trust in Jesus alone for salvation. Continue to live in the hope of another age. It's so easy in our suburban life. Some are like, well, I live in the city. Y'all still living like you in the suburbs, I know. To get wrapped up in the things of this world. To live for this age. To have priorities in this life that trump our priorities for the next life. Understand that this life is a preparation for another life. Live for another age. Hope in another age. Lay down the priorities that culture demands you to submit to and give yourself to Christ Jesus, his kingdom, his priorities. And may you live with anticipation. Be patient. Wait for all those promises that God has made to you. Don't demand all that is in, to be, well, all that you await to be now and over-realize something that is still to be yet to come. Hope for another age. Hope for resurrection life. And please, if a Gentile can profess Christ, right? The most unlikely person. Can we not profess him too? Can we not profess Jesus? Who he is in our lives, in the world? This is a message that's meant to be told. His identity is meant to be shared. You became a professor of Christ through a profession from someone else. Don't forget about your instrumentality in the world. You must go into the world and profess Jesus is truly the Son of God. He is who he says he is. His death accomplishes what he said it accomplished. Don't forget that when people come to faith, it's because they have heard your profession. Let's give ourselves to boldly professing Christ as the Son of God. Amen? God saves. We don't save people, but he saves through our profession. So let's give ourselves to this. Amen? Do you see the signs? Don't ignore them. The signs at Jesus' death, right? They tell us who Jesus is. They point to his identity. 55 and 56 are just wonderful verses. I'm going to mention them as briefly as I can. It says, there were many, also many women there, 
looking on from a distance, who'd followed Jesus from Galilee, ministering to them, among whom were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of the sons of Zebedee. Matthew and all the gospel writers, especially Luke, are careful to highlight the presence of faithful women into their accounts during these moments. Don't miss this. This is not just, oh, and by the way. This is a revelation from God, and it's precious. It's sweet. Let's not forget, Judas betrayed Jesus. Peter denied Jesus. We understand the disciples had all abandoned him. But what are we told? There were faithful women there. The women who had ministered to Jesus. As we understand from Luke 8, that probably meant they provided for his needs. They took care of Jesus. They were there. They were looking on from a distance. Yeah, but they were there. This is a continued theme over the next couple weeks. We'll see it. It's prominent that these women are the first and primary witnesses to all that Jesus had endured. And let's not miss out on the fact that if you were going to write up a story to prove something that was a lie, right? You were making this up. You would not have written and said, hey, there were some women there and they testified to these things. That account would have lost all credibility in that time. So for Matthew to highlight this really reinforces the fact that this is what happened. This took place. The women saw it. The faithful women testified to these things. And it shows that these women were precious to Jesus. These women were precious to God. I want you to see that. Women matter to God. Amen? Women matter to Jesus. This is so countercultural. Then, Christianity has proven, true Christianity, I should say, has proven to be not oppressive, but so pro-woman throughout the ages in ways that other religions and societies have been absolutely nowhere near to compare. That's what Christianity is. This church needs to have a priority to reflect that. We've recently highlighted a new ministry leader. Holly is the women's director of ministry, a women's ministry leader. Women matter here. They're not tertiary or secondary. They're primary. We want their faith to flourish. We understand that the tradition of the church is that they were the initial and they were the primary witnesses to all that Jesus had endured in his death and resurrection. We're gonna, more can be said. In some ways, more should be said. But for the sake of time, I'll stop. We're going to see this more next week and on Easter Sunday. That for the gospel writers, women are prominent and first witnesses. Don't miss that.
and don't miss the signs. Open your eyes, because the signs of Jesus' death identify him as God's son. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I pray by the power of the Spirit, you would open all of our eyes to see. Remove the residue of doubt and fear, of error, flat-out rejection and rebellion, and help us see Jesus. Thank you that these signs tell us that we can know with confidence that because of Jesus, access has been granted, because of Jesus, death has been uh, defeated, because of Jesus, sin has been fully atoned for. And give us faith to run to his arms for grace. Give us the spirit to live a life of faithful profession of Christ as the Son of God. We pray all these things in his name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen.